You're listening to Drek FM. Welcome everyone to the very first episode of Treka Film's new podcast, Literary Treks. Now, this show is going to be devoted entirely to the written Star Trek universe. That could be books, comics, or it could even be reference books. I'm Christopher Jones, and joining me on this show as my co-host is Matthew Rushing. Hello, Chris. Now, People know you already from your book reviews that you write for Trek FM, and also you have joined us on The Ready Room and on The Observation Lounge. And uh, Matthew, I'm really glad to have you with me on this show because you are so knowledgeable about the literary universe of Star Trek. Well, thanks, Chris. Uh, I'm excited to be here. I've been reading Trek books for a very long time. In fact, when I first got into Star Trek and ended up finding out, you know, they were doing the Next Generation books and kind of started reading those and going back to the TOS books that they had written and kind of mining those. And so I've read bits and pieces of all of those, you know, numbered series books and um, they kind of kept me going. And, and uh, but there's never been any podcast devoted, I think, exclusively to the written Trek. And so I'm very excited that we'll be doing that together. Because it is a subject I think that um, can really be talked about and to give the, us a chance to get to know some of the authors as well we hope to have on and um, be able to to talk to them about their process and creating these stories that we love so much. And one of the things that I was thinking of um, and I was wanting to ask you about is what are some of your favorite Trek books, Chris? Oh, that's a good question um, because I've been reading Trek books for for quite a long time. And to be honest with you, I don't get to read all of the new books that come out as much as I would love to just because of time demands. And, but you know, when I think back, uh, I think one of my very favorite books from the past was actually Federation, which was written by Judith and Garfield Reeve Stevens. Yes. Back in, that was probably like the early nineties when that book was out. Uh, I had it in hardcover and I remember very distinctively reading that book. And I'm not a big fan, actually, of the combination of the original series cast and the Next Generation cast. But I thought that, you know, that was an example where they were able to to span the time periods and bring things together in a way that really intrigued me as a Star Trek fan. Definitely a good book. I remember reading that one. And it was the first time, you know, I had that idea of kind of mixing the two crews. Um, you had... So many people talk about that idea. This is before generations had happened. And so um, it was the the big time where, you know, Kirk meets uh, Picard for the first time and um, that they meet. And, and yeah, I love I love their books, too. I, I love their work with Shatner as well. Um, yes, I will. I will say up front. I was a fan of Shatner's books um, that he brought out where he brought Kirk back. And so 
Uh, I'm sure I will get to talk uh, sometime at length with Greg about that sometime as we discuss the endless amounts of um, sorrow we had at the end of Generations and how much we wanted him back. So <laughs> maybe you could even get together and you could both ask Ronald D. Moore about the ending. I'm hoping that we get to do that. Um, but I'm thinking that what's going to happen to happen is that Greg and I are going to have to get together and we are going to have to um, buy a very expensive bottle of scotch and a very nice command robe for uh, Ronald D. Moore to be able to have and probably some good Cubans. Um, we might be able to get the answer out of him then. I, I think so. That sounds like a good idea. And for, for those who don't know uh, who Greg is, if you have, if this show is your entry point into Trek FM, uh, Greg is my co-host over on The Ready Room, which uh, is our general discussion show. And um, and uh, you'll find him on some of our other shows as well, The Observation Lounge and others. But uh, well, tell me, Matthew, how about you? What What is your favorite? Go back to the classics for a little bit. What's your favorite classic Star Trek book? You know, one of my favorite uh, classic Star Trek books, and I still have it in hardcover on the shelf. I have two. There are two of them. One is Prime Directive, and the other is Shadows of the Sun. Um, and uh, Prime Directive had that story where uh, Kirk has been court-martialed because of uh, something that's happened on a planet. This is the book where he went to warp within an atmosphere and destroyed yes. the atmosphere. Is yes, that right? exactly. He's court-martialed, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, so the whole crew basically have to figure out a way throughout a few years in this book what actually happened um, and kind of clear Kirk's name. And so mm. it was a great book because it was one of those where the entire crew actually gets something to do. You know, Ahura is not just asking for hailing frequencies and, uh, you know, Chekhov actually is not just there for his monkey hair. Um, and so I, I really enjoyed that book a lot. Um, that was a good book. I remember reading that book as well. And then Shadows of the Sun was one. Um, I always really enjoyed Dr. McCoy as a character. And that book focuses solely on him um, and a old relationship that he had had. Um, and uh, I just really remember, it's been a very long time since I've read it. And so I'm speaking in generalities because of that. But um, I have very fond memories of that book as well because I got to know um, a little bit more about McCoy. Um, and then more recently, uh, one of my favorite books is actually Christopher, Christopher L. Bennett's Ex Machina, which takes place right after the motion picture. Uh, and it's not a time period that's really been mined all that much in Trek books. Um, but the way Chris wrote that series uh, and those characters right after the motion picture, I felt like was picture perfect um, and uh, really capturing that idea of this brand new enterprise um, on another mission. And you know, the way Chris always brings in all of the different uh, episodes and I mean, he'll throw in like references to, you know, 20 different episodes in one book and it seems seamless and he's not just doing it for, you know, what we might call continuity porn. Um, it just really feels very natural. And so that's, I loved that book. It's still one of my all time favorites. Excellent. There, there is so much good Star Trek fiction coming out these days, I think. Um, the we're getting a lot more kind of um i think the quality level of the books that we're getting now across the board has risen a little bit compared to in the past where you had a lot of good gems but you also had a lot of 
uh, that they're churning out the numbered novels for the series for a while. Uh, I know they did that during the Voyager years quite a bit as well. Yeah, it has been something where Pocket Books has definitely gone back and um, stopped releasing so many books. So you get one a month, which has really helped the quality of the books. I think it's given the authors a lot more time. And um, we'll talk to Dayton later on in the show. Um, and I, I think he'll agree with that. It's it's gave, given the authors a lot more opportunity to, uh, number one, be able to collaborate well. And two, just to have the time um, to write the, the books without too much of a rush. And it gives them a the chance to have just more polish and, and quality to them. And so, um, you know, I think of Kirsten Byers' books, the Voyager books. I've loved them. Um, anytime David Mack comes out with a book, uh, especially his new series he's doing now that I'm reading and um, l- loving it already, he, he always has a way of capturing you right from the beginning. And so, uh, yeah, these writers are excellent. Let's take a moment here and tell everyone about the format of the show. And uh, we're going to break the show up into two parts. We're going to have a news segment that's going to be quite brief. We're just going to give you a rundown of a little bit of what's coming up in the literary universe over the coming weeks or months. And uh, then after that, we're going to have a feature for each show. And we're going to be sometimes discussing a book. Sometimes we're going to have a guest on like we do today. Today, we're going to be joined by Dayton Ward to talk about his new novella in Tempest's Wake, as well as the overall Vanguard series and, you know, some other things just about writing Star Trek. And uh, so sometimes we'll talk about books. Sometimes we'll talk about comics. uh, Sometimes we might even talk about some of these interesting art books or uh, reference books that are coming out as well. So, Matthew, why don't we go ahead and lead everyone into news this week? And um, as I look at our first news story, we're finding out something I'm really excited about personally, which is that Christopher Bennett is going to be continuing the Romulan War series. Yeah, I was really excited to hear this. I I saw this uh, the other day over on 8 of 5, which is a great uh, website, and he does a great job of of creating collecting all the newest information and I saw this and I went to Chris's blog um, and he's going to be continuing the the Romulan Wars uh, books were supposed to be three books it was supposed to be a trilogy Um, and then Pocket kind of um, brought that down and only made it into two um, which a lot of the fans then speculated that the series was just going to be dead that they would not be writing any more Enterprise books at all um, luckily the series had ended well and it you felt that there was some finality to it if they decided that this was going to be the end um, but welcome news from Chris's blog uh, the other day came to our attention that the Enterprise cast is going to live on and uh Chris says on his blog, he says, I've finally been cleared to announce a new Star Trek project I've been working on for the past few months, which is something entirely new for me, just about as it is for just about everyone else. It's called Star Trek Enterprise Rise of the Federation, a choice of futures. Uh, The Romulan War saga of the previous Enterprise novels concluded with the founding of the United Federation of Planets in 2161. And I've been chosen to tell the next phase of that story. How did an alliance get formed uh, in wartime, become a peaceful union that we know? How did its founding members balance their differing views on what the Federation would become? And so it looks like Chris is really going to delve into this time period that we don't really know very much about uh, and give us a a really nice, um, you know, story. You're going to get... 
the Enterprise herself is actually in Mothballs now. Uh, she was, uh, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, um, she was heavily damaged at the very end of the Romulan War, um, too much for them to, to salvage, and so um, you're going to end up having Admiral Archer, his former crew, um, his ad uh, allies like Sh uh, Shran and Saval and all these different characters that we've kind of got to know and love throughout the Enterprise universe and so I'm, I'm very excited about this. Um, Enterprise is one of my uh, favorite series and um, to see this part of the Trek universe this is something that hasn't really been mined very much and so there is plenty of room for Chris to take this and run with it and if you know Chris he is great at making things fit and work in a way that seems very seamless. Uh, his um, Temporal Investigations novels, he takes every single time travel story and makes them all work together as if they were always meant to go that way, which is pretty impressive yeah. because he even uses uh, TAS. So, Yeah, I've been enjoying that as well. I, I like the concept of that series quite a bit. Well, I'm excited also about this because, as I've said many times on the ready room and other shows. I really think that the failure of enterprise, I, I love enterprise as a series. Uh, I, I think the failure of enterprise to take us through the Romulan war was uh, a great disappointment for me personally. And for a lot of fans, um, I, I, I think if we had gotten the fifth, sixth, seventh season of, of that show, maybe we would have seen the Romulan war. Uh, I, I think it should have been there. I think it's part of what that series was really, I don't know, intended to do in terms of Brandon Braga and Rick Berman's vision, but in terms of what what is the destiny of Enterprise as a prequel series, I think part of that destiny was to fill in the Romulan War. And so I'm really glad that at least uh, Christopher Bennett is going to be doing it in these novels. And definitely, uh, when you think about um, everything that fans have kind of bemoaned as Enterprise um, ended was that we weren't going to get that Romulan War that you know that the fourth season had, had really hinted at that this is what was going to be coming in the same way that um, Deep Space Nine had been kind of working its way up to this Dominion War um, and they they really you know as fans we really got let down and luckily yeah. um, they did write the novels to give us the Romulan War. Um, I wish that they would have given us the uh, trilogy that they had planned, but um, you know, at this point, um, having the yeah. two was better than nothing. <laughs> yeah, and that's what I mean. I, we we did get it in the two, but I'm glad to see there's going to be some expansion mm -hmm. and kind of follow through to the mm -hmm. aftermath as well. That. I think everyone wants to see. And, and Chris said on his blog that he really sees this as being kind of a sequel to Enterprise. Um, right. It'll be under yeah. the Enterprise heading, obviously, for marketing reasons. But this is really a prequel to the original series. You know, how does mm -hmm. this timeline then match up with what you see in original series timeline? And I, I think that's going to be fascinating for Trek fans to see. And I'm, I'm very excited again um, for Chris. I know that, um, that he's very excited to be writing this. And so uh, this is scheduled, I believe, to come out um next year in july i think it is of 2013 um so we will have to wait a while to see what happens but uh i'll be excited to review it so 
Absolutely. Well, let's move on to another book that's coming up towards the end of this month. And this is a continuation of the Typhon Pack storyline in a book called Silent Weapons. Uh, yeah, this one is, is going to be great. You know, David Mack is writing another epic trilogy um, that uh, will probably end up uh, changing the look of the universe as we know it uh, in the same way he did with the Destiny series. And so um, I don't want to give too much away for this, but it's going to be coming out on November 27th. Um, so make sure that you, uh, if you're reading, you want to be uh, finished with Persistence of Memory. But uh, this one's going to be continuing to focus on uh, Captain Picard and his Enterprise crews. They answer a distress call from an old friend. Um, and so looks very exciting um it's gonna have some looks like it's gonna have some great wharf action as well which is always fun um as Picard's first officer so yes looks like a great book coming up good and uh apart from books there is a bit more coming out on the comic front uh the comic front for me feels I don't know do you agree with me it feels a little bit more active than the novels these days you know I I think um, in some ways, it, it does seem a little bit more active, but I think part of that is that it's linked to the new JJ verse, a lot of it. And so that yeah, really gives it a true. little bit more um, in the media, you know, um, in, whereas the, the other truck books, they haven't really been in the media all that much. Um, even though David Mack's new book just hits uh, the bestseller list, the New York Times bestseller list, so uh, which is really exciting. Congratulations to him. Um, but yeah, I do agree with you that the comics do seem to have a bit more um, upfront nature to them, more going on in that. So Yeah, at least more visibility. I guess with Bad Robot backing the, you know, Roberto Orsi overseeing the ongoing series, it's a little bit more in the forefront. And uh, And speaking of that, actually coming up, now this will not actually be released until uh, early 2013, as I understand it. But just as they did with the last J.J. movie, there's going to be a comic series that leads us into Star Trek Into Darkness, which is scheduled for release on May 17th of 2013. And uh, this series is going to be called Countdown to Darkness. Which, um, you know, uh, I, I don't know how you count down into darkness. Um, if Does it mean I'm going <laughs> right. down like uh, the stairs into... Um, the basement, and so I'm counting down the stairs as I go into the darkness where the light isn't. Right, and and the light is fading as you go down the stairs. That's right, yes. Exactly, exactly. Um, so I'm not <laughs> sure if, uh, you know, the new Enterprise has stairs as well as turbo lifts probably for those does. who want to be really in shape. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Well, they do a lot of running in the hallways. Um, so, right. uh, But no, this should be really exciting for those who read Countdown, um, definitely added a huge amount to the film. Um, and so I believe that, you know, in the same way they've been talking about that this ongoing series is going to have an impact in the new movie, this this will definitely be the direct lead-in to Star Trek Into Darkness. That's right. And this is also just like the Star Trek ongoing comic series. Uh, this is being overseen by Roberto Orsi, Mike Johnson, who's writing the ongoing series, um, David Messina is going to be involved and it's going to be interesting to see what they fill in. You know, they've been saying that there are clues to the storyline, clues to the plot of the next movie in all of the ongoing comics, going all the way back to the very first issue of Star Trek Ongoing. And I've been trying to pick out what those clues are. 
It'll be interesting as someone who has read all of the ongoing comics, when I finally get my hands on Countdown to Darkness, seeing if if I notice anything in there, you know, that pulls together all those threads that, that we have been seeing in the others. Yeah, and it'll be interesting too because they'll still not want to give away too much so that it doesn't give away too much of the film. So, you know, I, I'm, I immediately think of when you say the little threads, like, um, you know, Dr. Daner not being in um, where no man has gone before. Um, and is that, uh, you know, Alice's character in the new film. And also mentioning that uh, there's going to be a novelization of Star Trek Into Darkness. You said you don't want to, they don't want to give away too much about the movie, right? But uh, Alan Dean Foster, it was announced he's going to be writing the novelization of Star Trek Into Darkness, which interestingly is going to be released about a week before the film hits theaters. So you would actually be able to pick up the book and then read the entire story before you see the movie if you really wanted to, which I personally like to avoid that. So for all of the secrecy that we've had with right. this film again... You can still go out and purchase the book and ruin all of that Appar- secrecy. Apparently so. I, I don't under Yeah. So at, at least, I guess, at this point, JJ, I'm just saying, can you at least tell us who the villain is? <laughs> or it just at least tell us that Star Trek Into Darkness is the title. I still think Rod Stewart is the villain. I, I think that's, I'm pretty sure. Well, yeah, I can see that. And, um, you know, uh, his his you know hair alone gives him I think <laughs> that kind of gravitas right that yes. he'll need to be a Star Trek villain. Absolutely, um, I con proved that really what you needed to be a good villain was good hair. <laughs> That's an excellent point you have there. Absolutely. <laughs> well, the next uh, thing we have is in in just comics that are coming out is is Star Trek Ongoing fifteen is coming out. Now I'm really excited about this one because. Well, for everyone who's read 14, it's kind of interesting that Star Trek Ongoing 14 is basically the backstory of Keenzer and how Keenzer met Scotty. And it's it's an okay comic, but it's kind of an odd thing to throw in there. But 15 mm-hmm. takes us to the Mirror Universe. This I've really been looking forward to seeing how they handle the Mirror Universe inside what's already an alternate timeline for us if you want to look at it that way yeah so we have an alternate timeline inside another alternate timeline there's so many timelines i just feel like i'm gonna get lost um you know like i've stepped through some sort of looking glass or um you know that a white rabbit is going to appear i'm not sure um oh wait that's that's not Star Trek. That's just Alice in Wonderland. I'm or it's sorry. shore leave. Um, so you never know. Oh, yes, they could exactly. Redo shore leave. Oh, that's yes. Yes, they should do that one. Um, I am excited about this. I'm really excited to see, you know, after um, 14 being a little bit of, you know, uh, kind of that feeling of, oh, Anakin meets Jar Jar. Um, <laughs> we're going to we're going to get, uh, I think, a story that's fans are really going to like yeah uh, for some reason we all enjoy the mirror universe and i i'll be really interested to see um especially this spock uh in the mirror universe and so i like the cover art for 15 that we've seen so far with the zachary quinto spock but with the mustache and the goatee uh 
it, it, when you first look at it, it almost looks like Leonard Nimoy. But if I look really closely at it, I can see, mm-hmm. no, it actually is Zachary Quinto, Spock, uh, in that cover with the very cool Abrams verse blue science uniform on. And he does look very evil. You know, Quinto's sp- take on Spock is so much more emotional than Nimoy's take on Spock is. So it'll be interesting to see. And of course, here they're doing it with art and just writing dialogue. If they can capture that emotion and transfer that to the mirror universe, I think it could be an interesting new dynamic to Mirror Spock from from what we know from Mirror Mirror. Yeah, because in Mirror Mirror, the original, you know, Spock isn't really all that different. Um, He's just a little bit um, meaner, Um, but he's really not all that different. So this Spock, I feel like they might have the ability to give him a little bit even more emotion that he has right. in, in this, you know, JJ universe and yeah. um, really get to play with that and open that valve up a little bit more. Yeah. So I'm definitely looking forward to this one. And the last item we have in use for this week is the continuation of Brandon Braga's Hive series. Which has been a really interesting series so far. Have you read... Um, part two yet uh just getting into part two i've read part one i've got part two on my ipad right now and uh getting ready to dive into that well i don't want to i definitely don't want to ruin anything for anyone if they haven't read it but um yeah i'm 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 really interested to see where brandon wants to take this um it's uh it's definitely got a lot of the hallmark brandon braga um kind of tropes to it um but i can't turn away um, it's a little bit like uh, Threshold. I just can't stop watching. Um, and so, but I, I, to say that it's not bad at all, I think it's very interesting to see what Brandon's idea of like the the final confrontation with the Borg is. Right, right. Because it takes place far off into the future. Um, at least, yes. The first one kind of jumps back and forth between time periods, but I guess the ultimate mm-hmm. concept of the story is this is the Borg far down the road into the future yes and giving us that uh that picture of uh you know the the borg have taken over in the future so we need to prevent them from doing it in right. the past yeah. and changing that and, and so it's very interesting i'll and and two i think what's really interesting is you know brandon created seven of nine and to see him use her here in the way that he feels that she should have been used i guess um, it's very interesting from uh, just a creative standpoint. So I'm very glad that, that uh, IDW decided to let him do this um, because even if I won't necessarily consider it my personal canon uh, for the Borg, which I would say David Mack's Destiny trilogy is for me, um, I really like this as just kind of an alternate version of what could have happened to the Borg. It's a very interesting approach. I was kind of hesitant on it when when they first announced the concept, but uh, now that I'm reading it, you know, actually, it's it is fairly interesting, uh, and it's always fun to have that alternate approach. You know, what if kind of scenario. It's kind of hard not to be excited about a Locutus of Borg that is p- apparently the Aquaman <laughs> of the Star Trek universe. I mean, he holds a trident, so <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the neptune of space so well that wraps up our news items for today Uh, a couple of books a couple of comics for you to look forward to in the coming months so we will uh go ahead and move into our feature
All right, Matthew. So joining us for our feature this week uh, is renowned Star Trek author, who everyone knows, I believe, who's listening to our show, Dayton Ward. Hello, Dayton. How are you today? Hi, how are you? I'm doing great. Great. I'm glad to have you back with us on Trek FM. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. That leads me actually to my very first question I have to ask you, Dayton. Now, last time you were on with me, towards the end of our discussion, you told me that you had a super secret project that you really weren't allowed to talk about yet. Um, if I'm not mistaken, that probably is the novella that we're going to talk about today in Tempest's Wake. Am I correct? That sounds about right. I don't remember exactly when we recorded it, but that, I think that was. <laughs> I think that's about right, yeah, timing-wise. Okay. I thought so. I thought so. So now it's not only available, but um, we've actually had a chance to put it on our Kindles. How'd that work out? You know what? I actually have not seen a version of the finished ebook yet. I've not actually seen like a Kindle download or, or one of the other ebook formats. So how did it come out? It I get a lot really... of questions about formatting and errors in formatting and things like that. It looks really good, Dayton. Um, you know, from reading a lot of the uh, Trek books, and I read them all in in ebook format now. Um, it came out really well. I was very pleased with the look of it. Um, they had some nice uh, font choices for um, just the titles and uh, everything, and so I was really pleased with the way that it looks. Okay, I mean, because I've heard some complaints about uh, some some ebooks that the formatting is poor or they don't allow a font selection or you know there's there's just just gross formatting errors because somebody it looks like they scanned a PDF or something so and I've also heard recently that uh, there's been some improvement in that area so I'm just curious to see you know what the trend is or what people are seeing yeah I have noticed that uh, there is a difference sometimes in in the you know if you buy the books on iBooks or for Kindle or for Nook um, they can look or act a little bit differently but uh, I, I was reading this on, on my uh, Nook app, and it, and it looks great. Um, and uh, I felt like that the book was definitely uh, formatted well. And I, I think that Pocket has definitely been in, investing in that and making sure that it's more uniform throughout the apps. And so I was very pleased. I mean, because, you know, when you, when you hear that somebody bought the book and it didn't, and it, and it came out badly formatted or there's a there's a major issue with it you I mean you, you feel horrible there's nothing you can do about it but they're still going to ding you because you know it's your name on the cover of the book that pissed them off so um i just so i've been i pay attention and if i hear something about it that, that i think can be reported and corrected i try to pass it up the chain but um not always an easy process so glad to hear that they're apparently stepping up their game a bit yeah, definitely, and I I agree with you because I have actually had to return a few ebooks um, because they were formatted incorrectly, and luckily the the customer services have always been pretty receptive to that, and so. Um, but I and would never have blamed the author. I'm always cursing the app at that point. So. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, my experience too has been a lot of the older books that I've gotten have had a lot of poor formatting, a lot of typos too, just amazing typos. Uh, but I do feel that the newer books have improved mm -hmm. drastically. Um, and in Tempest's Wake looked great to me. I've, I've been reading it. I do have a Kindle, but I tend to use my iPad and the Kindle app on there. And it looks beautiful on there. So I've been really happy with it. Okay, good. Glad to hear it. Hopefully you enjoyed it, too. Yeah, definitely. And actually, that's what I wanted to ask you about next is 
how uh, we knew that Vanguard was wrapping up. You know, we talked about that in the past, and those who have read the Vanguard series knew that it was the conclusion. And now we have a new novella. How did that come about? How were you asked to kind of continue the Vanguard universe in that way? Yeah, this was uh, unexpected. Um, and by that I mean, uh, this is not something that I would have uh, pitched on my own to an editor. Uh, so far as we were all were concerned, um, Dave Mack's book, Storming Heaven, was the last book in the series, and it was our intention that that be it. Um, however, uh, you know, shortly before that book was going to even be published, um, so this would be but back in the spring when you and I talked last, um, my editor out of the blue asked me if I was interested in writing a coda, you know, like a little bonus story for Vanguard. And my initial reaction was, reluctance. Uh, I, I was not expecting that one. You know, I know they've been trying to dip their toe back into the original ebook exclusive fiction market. You know that. You know, for years we had that uh, Starfleet Corps of Engineers series going, which was ebook mm-hmm. exclusive, and then then later on they would bundle a few into, into paperback. Um, they're trying to. I, I, I guess they're experimenting with different ideas. You know, things that are not necessarily worthy of a full novel, but yet would make a very fun novella. Um, they're, they're looking for other uh, avenues to explore in that area. And so, you know, like they did Christopher Bennett's book last year, which was sort of a Typhon Pack tie-in, and they were doing other these other um, sidebar stories that they, that they think would work well in a novella format. And so my editor asked me if I was interested in doing a Vanguard novella, and my, my first answer was I really was not interested. Not, not that I didn't want to write more Vanguard, just that, you know, we all agreed that that was the end. And um, after talking with her about it for a couple of hours, I spent on the phone with her. We worked out an idea that I was happy with in terms of, yeah, I, I can write the story if you let me do it this way. Don't let me, you know, let me te- tell it from the perspective of other characters and let me do X, Y, and Z with it. Um, and there's a couple of things I can pick up from that didn't necessarily get a lot of play in the last book of the series. And yet, I still wanted it to be. I didn't want it. I didn't want fans to think, oh, I thought I was done. Now I have to go read this other story. I would, I wanted it to be more, I really miss Vanguard. Here's one extra story that's a bonus, if that makes any sense at all. Um, I, didn't want to, I, didn't want to think, I didn't want readers to think they had gotten cheated somehow or we had you know, pulled a switch on them or something. So hopefully it came off that way. So. I think it did. It, you know, um, what I liked about it is that it really did um, – give you just one more story that um, did a good job of, of kind of going through the whole um, storyline of Vanguard, um, but then giving you, um, you know, the Enterprise has been kind of in and out of this storyline um, and kind of giving you Kirk's perspective on everything that's happened. And I really liked that. Um, and I, I also really enjoyed being able to see um him and that the admiral sitting there talking um and that kind of relationship back in the 23rd century because it's a little bit different than we see with the admirals in the 24th century and so i really enjoyed that oh thank you and in fact i actually when we pitched the idea uh when the edit when the when the idea got pitched back up the chain it was pitched as a star trek story not a star trek vanguard story um Mm. and so i was you know i even said let's have kirk on the cover and 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 a maybe a ghostly image of Vanguard in the background or something. And for whatever reason, they decided they wanted to put the Vanguard label on it because they didn't want, 
they were worried that fans who might buy this thing thinking they were going to get a you know a standalone story with Kirk and the gang were instead going to get a story that ties into the novel only series and that would throw them off. Um, I could see both sides of that. that. I, you know, I lobbied mm-hmm. for the for the original series moniker versus Vanguard, but I, you know, I got overruled on that one. And I don't necessarily disagree with with the decision that was made. I just, hmm. like I said, I was I was worried that fans would think they'd gotten you know a fast one pulled on them. And that, and I and every time somebody's asked me about it throughout the writing and and now that it's out, I've said you know this was not meant to be like the finale plus one more scene. It was supposed to be a bonus. So if you've enjoyed the entire series at this point and you were happy with the way it ended in Storming Heaven, which I, you know, we all view Storming Heaven as the finale of the series, then here's a little extra for you. The, like a, somebody likened it to a, a, a DVD extra, like a bonus feature on a DVD. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I almost thought of it as like uh, scenes that just hadn't gotten put into the film. Yeah. Um, and I really, I, I, I liked that about it because um, it just added a little bit more depth to the whole Vanguard storyline. I don't know not... that this would have worked as a full-length novel, and I don't know that I could have pulled this off incorporating it into a different, like a, like a, like a regular Kirk and Company novel. I don't know that it would have worked. It works, if it's going to work at all, it works just like this. And, and, and uh, for anybody who's going to listen to this, wondering if we're going to pull that game again. It's not our intention to write another Vanguard story. This was it. Really, honest, for goodness sake, this time. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, something I wanted to, to ask you about was um, just what was the, the genesis of the Vanguard storyline for, for you and David and, and Kevin? Um, what was the inspiration for this series? Well, this was... You know, this was Dave Mack working with, uh, at the time, editor Marco Palmieri. This was their mm-hmm. brainchild. They, they developed the series. They were looking for a series to complement, you know, the original Star Trek, much the same way that other book lines such as New Frontier and the Star Trek or the Starfleet Corps of Engineers all take place in the 24th century, but yet they're spinoffs of those shows. There had been an attempt to make a... Uh, to have another ongoing novels-only series set in the 23rd century, it was called New Earth, uh, that came out in the in the, the early 2000s, and it did not take off, you know, for whatever reason. And uh, editor Marco Palmieri, you know, he was really looking for something to go alongside, be able to tell stories in that time frame, in that period, with you know that the technology and the setting and the, and the, and that the Trek as we know it during that time frame, the five-year mission, but yet be able to do this, have the same kind of freedom that New Frontier has uh, in relation to Next Generation and DS9 and Voyager. So that was the genesis of that. The, the two of them sat together and they, then they, they figured out you know, the, the storyline that would drive the entire series. And it was always intended to be uh, a limited series. The exact number of books had never been pinned down, but it, the intention was from the very beginning that it would have a defined ending. So how we got there might very little bit, but it was not intended to be an ongoing open-ended series. And so they figured out the storyline, they figured out the characters, what types of characters they wanted, they knew how they wanted to veer away from the traditional Star Trek character makeup, you know, the, the captain, the first officer, the medical officer, the engineer, they wanted to change that up a little bit, and they wanted an emphasis on different types of characters that than we, than we normally get to see in the different shows, so non-Starfleet characters, you know, the reporter, the diplomat, that kind of thing. So this was all them, and then Kevin and I got invited to play after a lot of that groundwork had been laid, at least in terms of the high-level stuff. Talk a little bit just about um, 
how y'all worked together and I've read a lot of um, multi-author series and just kind of heard how they kind of work those together and you know they'll have meetings and they'll email back and forth how did that work for, for you uh, and David and Kevin a lot of email well Kevin and I live locally I mean we're, we're within you know 20 minutes of each other so and we were already a writing team for a while before uh, our involvement in Vanguard and then Dave of course lives in New York um, so uh, there was a lot of email, you know, phone calls. Uh, if we got together at a convention, you know, we always get together at the at the time we were always getting together at the annual Shirley Convention in Baltimore in the summer. So that was always a vanguard summit, you know, on, at dinner on Saturday night where we'd figure out, all right, where's the next book going? Um, and we we'd figure out uh, we'd lay out some broad strokes, and then whoever was up as far as writing the book, you know, whoever's turn it was, uh, would start figuring out a plot line you know, to carry the story forward. And that was a tradition pretty much every year at Shorely for uh, a handful of years. Do you have the napkins where you sketch things out? Like, can you sell those <laughs> at a future convention? Can you sell those in an auction? Sure, I'm sure somewhere is a, is a binder or a folder where I've taken a, a piece of paper that I scribbled on and stuck it in there, and it's hiding in a folder somewhere. Probably in the folder that I have, you know, with the contracts for that particular book or something. One of the things I noticed was that the uh, series felt much more like um, Deep Space Nine. Uh, it's it's got a lot of um, characters that, uh, like you said, are not Starfleet, and uh, the storyline itself is is a is a little bit darker and a little bit grittier, especially for the TOS era. Um, was that uh, intentional on y'all's part, or is that just something that became kind of a byproduct of the storyline that you, you decided to tell? No, uh, it was deliberate. Dave, in particular, because, you know, I, this, like I said, a lot of this is, is, is Dave's um, doing. Um, he wanted to cast a balance between, you know, good old-fashioned Star Trek, as is portrayed in the original series, but he wanted to give it a little bit more nuance, a little bit more, uh, I don't want to, I hate to say maturity, uh, but just a little more grit, uh, infuse it with a little bit more grit, a little bit more sophistication in the storytelling, you know, um, but yet still evoke everything we love about the original show. Um, and I think he, I think he, he found the right balance. Uh, I hope we held up our end of the deal. Um, but that, yeah, that was a very deliberate choice. He definitely wanted it to be a little bit more gritty, sophisticated, even you know more in your face, depending on the situation. Yeah, th- this is something we've talked about on the Ready Room before, actually, in relation to Vanguard, is that one of the things that we like about Deep Space Nine so much is that it's the series where you really feel how large the galaxy is, how large the Alpha Quadrant is, how much is actually going on beyond the crew that we're, you know, following every week and in some of the other series and in the original series everything feels very compartmentalized like it's just this one ship going around the galaxy and we're just following them all the time and and this decision that you made with vanguard in this respect i think helps a lot to to flesh out the 23rd century and 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 show us that yes there is this larger starfleet there is stuff going on everywhere beyond just where the enterprise is every week so i really like that well, I mean, one of the one of the the uh, goals of the series in, was a deliberate, um, you know, a deliberate complementing of the original show, giving giving certain things that happened that we saw on the show. We wanted to give 
some additional context as to how they happen, why they happen, and what inf what effects they may have happened away from the enterprise. You know, like first contact with this race or you know this event on this planet. You know, it had you know impacts beyond just what you saw in the episode. And as and in you know in reverse, we wanted things that happened in Vanguard to have ties to things that we had seen. You know, add another layer to something that you saw in an episode or a film. Um, you know, like for example. Uh, Carol Marcus being a character on Vanguard was a deliberate choice, and she was there from the beginning in the in the series Bible. Um, and what she does on Vanguard, and what she ends up doing later on in her career, you know, <clears throat> tried to make that, you know, that was the intention there was to make that a natural, organic progression. Uh, you, now you can watch Star Trek Two and go, yeah, I, I see where she got that idea now. You know, uh, that was the idea behind that was to be very complimentary and weave in and out without. Uh, Without making it gap filler, you know, without making it continuity spackle, I guess is a term that likes to get thrown around. We didn't want to do that. We didn't just want to do. We didn't want to do those kind of things. We just wanted to nice. We wanted to be as seamless as possible with how we weaved in and out around the original Star Trek. It definitely worked for me in that respect, having it um, give uh, life to those characters. Especially, I was thinking of Kara Marcus and um, the. Uh, even even in Tempest Wake, just uh, Kirk thinking in his his mind a little bit about you know um, his son, and it, it it added to me for me to when I do watch Star Trek Two now, and I'm thinking that Kirk knows he has this son, and this is something that he thinks about, and it's not something that's necessarily far from his mind, um, and so I really I really liked that, um, and then the next thing was is that. Reading this is is a perfect lead-in to one of my favorite books in the Typhoon Pack series, which was Paths of Disharmony, um, where you tied what happens in this book, the you know closing up uh, at the very end of all of this information, where nobody's ever really going to be able to get to it unless they're looking for it, um, to what happens to the Andorians. Um, was that something that you had in mind uh, all all the time, or is that something that um, you realized? Oh, we've done this with Vanguard, and now I can use it in my Typhoon Pack series book. Um, when I was brainstorming the idea with my editor, I said, "Hey, I can I can uh, I can tie up that, I, or I can connect those dots, you know, because I did that uh, with Hazardous Harmony. I, I I dropped that bombshell." Um, and I realized I had an opportunity here to to lay some breadcrumbs to, that would lead to that eventually, or at least you know tell the other side of that story. Um, you know, uh, yeah, it was it was not something I had planned to do before then. Just you know, like I said, this this opportunity came along, and I realized I had a chance to have a little bit of fun with those. You know, like I said, connecting those continuity dots. Yeah, and it really <laughs> it really worked for me because I was like, oh my goodness, this is exactly what leads into this whole huge mess that the Federation gets itself into, um, you know, with the Andorians and um, what causes such a huge problem for them because the good intentions of this Admiral to keep the Federation safe, um, in, in hindsight, they, you know, help uh, lead the Andorians to succeeding from the Federation. Yeah. Um, that, in fact, that whole that whole notion of using the metagenome um, as a, as as that catalyst for you know irking the Andorians that was something that came out of a a conference call when I was when the the four of us that were authors of those type 
compact books and our editor were brainstorming ideas for all of the books at the same time. We were trying to figure out you know, which order the books would be published in, which author was going to work with which crew, and, and uh, which planet or which race from the Typhon Pack was going to be featured. And, and, uh, but I was specifically asked to write the Andorian, to write about the Andorians and also to use the Tholians. And I said, and one of the things that I was worried about at the time was, well, I mean, we're overloading on the Tholians over in the Vanguard series. Um, so to make the Tholians the front and center villains in this book seems like overkill. Um, and then somehow, and I, and I, to this day, I still can't remember how it happened exactly, but Dave Mack and I basically hit on the idea of using the metagenome as a plot point at the same time. Um, and between the two of us, we figured out how to do that so that it served that book, but yet at the same time not hamstring either of us because we were still writing Vanguard at the time. We had not yet figured out how the plot was going to resolve um, in the final two books. So that was a little bit of fun. Um, and you know we managed so and that was part of our planning for the last two books was all right how do we make sure we stay consistent with what we ended up doing over there and uh, and uh, and not trip ourselves up and not write ourselves into a corner or that kind of thing so yeah like I said that that was one of the unexpected bonuses for me of writing the novella was I could I could link that together and see here we all just think as the reader that you know, somebody has it planned out on a master map and y'all have already figured all of this out. So that's that's fascinating. Sometimes it works that way and a lot of, a lot of more times it's not at all planned. <laughs> I mean, or, you know, we have a plan and then something comes along and we decide that that wasn't such a great idea. It was great. It sounded great when we thought it up and now that something else has come along and or somebody else has come into play and, and they've thrown some ideas on the board. It's like, well, you know, our original idea doesn't quite work. Her, her idea works better, or his idea works better. Um, or we can, we can, you know, or taking what they say into account, we can mold our idea a little bit differently and come up with something better. It's, it really is different from project to project. Uh, there is no one way that this, that any of these things get done. I don't think any one, any two books I've written has been developed at all using the same basic blueprint. That's one of the things that I've appreciated. I think um, reading the Trek books, I, I read other. Um, series books for other uh, media tie-ins and I felt like that the Trek books um, have done a really good job of having more cohesion and part of that is I think that um, they don't come out as um, as fast anymore um, and it seems to give the authors more time now um, and uh, I've noticed that the quality I think of the Trek books has definitely gone up and I know as a reader I definitely appreciate that and seeing um, how the authors are tying into each other and and not always heavily but just enough that um, you really do enjoy reading um, them in, in in succession and so um, it's it's been really good experience. I'm glad, well, I'm, I mean, I for one am happy that you say that. I'm glad you're enjoying it. Um, there's a lot of effort that goes in behind the scenes that um, you know a lot of it is. Um, unsung hero type stuff i mean you know there's a lot of a lot of conversations take place between all, different authors at you know to varying degrees depending on the project and how interlinked it might be with another book or if it takes its lead from another book or if it mentions another book and you know everybody works to to make sure that you don't necessarily have to read everything but we we try to set it up so that you want to read you know not not that you're forced to to be able to understand what's going on but that you dig what you're reading in this book enough that you want to go seek out the things that it ties to. 
that that's a small distinction to me, but a very important one. You know, I don't I don't ever write a book thinking, okay, they'll get the information they need to understand this by reading three other books. You know, I want you to have everything you need in my book, and if you liked what you read, I'm hoping you'll go seek out those three books just because you want more. You you, know, you want another slice of the pie. Um, doesn't always work. You know, we just, you know sometimes we you do better at that than, than other times, but that's always the goal. Is to is to not make the, make you feel compelled to go read you know every book, but you you, you kind of want it when you're done. You know, the first taste is free. <laughs> I think that's really good because the the books have become so intertwined that there there are moments where you feel like I think many readers feel like the entry point into a series can sometimes be steep. Like maybe it's because of television, you know, for Deep Space Nine, for example, when you got into the later seasons, I know a lot of viewers felt like they couldn't really come into the show at that point because they didn't know the back history of it. Uh, You know, Battlestar Galactica would be another good example of that. Um, But it's good to hear you say that and maybe it will help encourage more readers to to pick One of the reasons books. why I like writing the, 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 the original series novels, you know, because they, by and large, are fairly standalone. You don't have to necessarily read a whole bunch of them, or, you know, there may be a couple that tie together, but um, it, it's not an ongoing developing storyline, and, and, and it gets even harder when, you talk, when, you know, when you're talking about the 24th century and you've got, you know, five different ongoing series that all share us, you know, they're not all interlinked, but they share a common, you know, a common through line. And they're all going to touch on things that happen to each other off, you know, off camera, so to speak. Um, at what point does it become so uh, so complex that you know it, it puts off the casual reader who's just looking for something to read? And uh, right. I mean, I get that, I really do. Um, and we've had that conversation. It's like, well, all right, and I think Dave Max, uh, you know, like his Destiny trilogy was kind of a good entry point if you've not been reading Star Trek fiction for a while, this was a good way to come on board because it did kind of wipe the slate clean a little bit. You know, it did shake up the board. And then I think Cold Equations is going to do, I don't know if it's going to do on the same order of magnitude that Destiny did, but I think it's a turning point in the series. Um, I'm not going to give any spoilers or anything, but, you know, there are some significant events that happen in these books um, that I think will set the stage for the next phase, if you will, of Next Generation and and, uh, and perhaps some of the other series. Uh, and I've even joked to the editor on occasion, I said, you know, you know, is a reboot, relaunch, reset, go back to issue one, really that bad of an idea? You know, <laughs> let's do Star Trek The New 52, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm only half joking when I say that, but, you know, I know that I personally would like to rewrite something that's set earlier in the time frame for certain characters. Like, I'd love to write an Enterprise D next generation story just because just because i think it'll be fun um yeah same with voyager you know I, I was never the biggest voyager fan but i've got an idea for a voyager book set during the original run of the show um ds9 not quite so much because even that show was so tight with its continuity you know it's very hard to find places to stick in little standalone stories that don't impact on the ongoing narrative um, that's a challenge, not an impossibility, but I, I just think I'd lean more toward the, yeah, I would like to, it's kind of like Star Wars. People ask me if I want to write a Star Wars novel. I said, yeah, I'd write a Star Wars novel, but it would probably be a Han and Chewy on the Millennium Falcon before Episode Four type book, you know? Oh, Good old-fashioned yeah. adventure with the, the smugglers doing their thing. That actually I don't know cool, that I want to get into all yeah. that mess of continuity that takes place after the movies and all that kind of stuff. 
Well, and I think uh, I really like that that you say that. You know, I, I've noticed too that it seems a little bit uh, to me that you know David comes in and writes a big series that kind of gives you a close to like what we could call almost a season of Trek books. <laughs> um, and uh, so we kind of start the next season, and it kind of gives it does give you as a reader, especially with Destiny. Um, being somebody who loved Trek books and a lot of people um, felt like they couldn't get into him, I could be like, okay, take this series and you can start off here. And if you like what you read here, you can go read back if you want, or you can just keep, you know, going forward. Exactly. Yeah, that's that. And I, I mean, I'm, that's you know, everybody thinks you know. I know that you know it's a popular fan theory that the people who own whatever property that they are a fan of are constantly looking for ways to piss off the fandom. But that's really not how it works. It's just, you know, we're, we're trying to strike a balance. It's like, well, you know, we're allowed to push the envelope now because those shows are no longer in production, but yet we still have to maintain some level of familiarity with the property. And in the cases of something like Star Trek where, you know, the, the characters are getting older, but yet they're still on the ship 20 years after the first time you saw them, you start to stretch that believability envelope a little bit. You know, it's like, how long is, you know, Picard going to be a captain on the Enterprise? You know. Whereas I can turn right around and write a five-year mission story with Kirk and the gang in their prime, because as far as I'm concerned, you can never have enough of those. Um, they can keep. I'll, I plan to keep reading those, and you know, when I'm in the old folks' home, they're like uh, Pulp Fiction, you know, Flash Gordon, Robin Hood, yeah. James Bond, Superman. Those characters never age, never die. You know, they'll. You can keep creating those kinds of stories. Well, um, let, but, let me ask you a question there, Dayton. Now, you mentioned on our Facebook page a couple of days ago, you, you mentioned Flash Gordon here. You said you would love to write some Captain Proton stories if you could get pocketbooks to go for those. What kind of <laughs> ideas do you have in that area? That's just one of those things I like to needle pocket about every so often. It's like, you know, when, yeah. when they ask me if I have an idea for a story, I'm like, yeah, Captain Proton, and they groan. <laughs> and, uh, and they groan. The next topic. <laughs> you know, um, I, Captain Proton would be tremendous fun for me. I love old school pulpy science fiction, um, you know, ships on wires and sparklers and all that stuff and foam rocks and rubber suits. I love old old school 40s, 50s science fiction. Um, I would love, I would, you know, I would love to write a Captain Proton story for the sheer fun of it. Um, I understand that I'm probably one of four people on the planet who would care about that. Um, <laughs> so I, you know, I balance my love of that with practicality. Well, it sounds like that you have your next, um, you know, ebook series ready for Pocket. So, if they are listening, Pocket, you you need to get in into this right now. Um, we've got a whole new series and a fan base has started right here. That would be awesome, but uh, you know, I, I I I do I do drop hints like, hey, you know, I still have this idea for Captain Proton. Um, there was a, a a couple of years ago, I wrote a feature article for Star Trek magazine. Um, where they were doing a celebration of all things Voyager, and the editor at the time, Paul Simpson, asked me to write about Captain Proton. And I, the idea that I pitched to him for the article was that I should write the article as though it, you know, Captain Proton is to us the way Flash Gordon is to us. You know, he's, he's, he exists. So I wrote it from inside the box, like a fictional history of Captain Proton and the serials that were written about him in the 40s and the the books and the stories and the radio plays that were written about him. And then I wrote, as a, a sidebar article, I wrote an episode guide for all three of the supposed movie serials that were formed, filmed in the 40s. So all the 
chapters, you know, episode one, you know, whatever on Mars or, you know, the, the caves of Venus. Or, and I wrote little episode bullets, you know, like TV guide synopses for the entire, all three movie serials. And um, he loved it. And I know that the folks at CBS licensing really got a kick out of it. And at one point, sometime a while back, I, I basically told my editor, you realize I have the outline for three Captain Proton novels if I follow these episode guides in this magazine article. And uh, they didn't say no, but they didn't, you know, they didn't run out and say yes. They said, well, maybe one day we'll talk about it. So, well, maybe one day, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I'm, I'm sitting on three novels worth of uh, outline ideas for Captain Proton if the opportunity ever comes across. Well, I was, I, I did want to ask you then, um, just as a completely non-Trek related question, um, what are the kind of things that um, Dayton Ward likes to read when he does have time to read that's not Star Trek related? I read all kinds of different things. Um, I have a variety of interests. I like, as far as fiction goes, I tend toward uh, mysteries and thrillers. Uh, so, you know, uh, authors like Nelson DeMille or uh, P.T. Duderman. Um, Tom, I used to read Tom Clancy, but I don't think I've read a Tom Clancy book in 10 years. Um, I liked early Tom Clancy. Uh, so books like that. Um, I also like to read a lot of military history. Uh, I'll read military fiction as well. Um, and, I, and I'll also read quirky things like stuff by Elmore Leonard or Tim Dorsey you know, uh, or Carl Heisen. Um, I'm all over the map. I just uh, whatever, whatever looks good at this time. I'll, I'll grab. I'm reading a book right now called L.A. Noir, which is about the Los Angeles Police Department in the 1950s, uh, which is the basis for a show that's coming out on uh, one of the cable channels next year. Um, because I'm a big fan of L.A. Confidential and James Elroy, you know, uh, in particular. So I'm all over the place. Whatever, whatever catches my eye at the bookstore, um, it doesn't. You know, I'm, I'm not a snob on topic. Uh, if it looks interesting, I'll, 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 I'll look at it and read it. I found that to be true for me. I, working at a bookstore for three years, you end up learning how to pick up just about anything that looks interesting and just start pouring yourself into it. So, yeah, uh, I mean, otherwise you get bored. I mean, I like writing. I like reading Star Trek too, but uh, there's only so much of it you can take before you need a break. You know. Yeah. Well, as we wrap up, uh, Dayton, let's. Is there anything that you're working on? Anything upcoming that you want to tell us about? Anything you want to plug? Uh, I'm working on a, another uh, novel for Pocket right now. It's an original series novel. I really can't uh, say too much about it yet. I mean, I, I, apparently I'm clear to talk about it, but I haven't quite figured out how I want to <laughs> announce the thing. Uh, it's an original series novel. It's uh, going to be out next summer. I believe it's the August book, uh, at, at the last I heard. And um, I'm currently working on another. After that, after I wrap this one up, um, I'm working on a a book that will be part of a uh, four or five book uh, arc uh, for Pocket uh, that'll be out in late 2013, early 2014. Um, haven't even figured out what that story is going to be about yet, other than you know I know which crew I'm going to be writing. Uh, but uh, and then beyond that, there are a couple things that have been talked about um, that are just conversations at this point. So. Um, but you know, Pocket has been keeping me pretty busy for the last several years, and that that shows no signs of slowing down right now. And that reminds me that I have to ask you: They're keeping you so busy. You've been doing this for what, twelve, thirteen, fourteen years now, uh, since you first you know submitted 20, yeah, to the yeah, um, fifteen years now, yeah, yeah, to the contest. 
So are you now wearing a jacket and smoking a pipe, like you said <laughs> no. you hoped to do one of these days? <laughs> I'm wearing a bathrobe and smoking a cigar if I smoke at all. Um, <laughs> I, don't, okay. I don't really smoke, but I, I do enjoy the occasional cigar. So that means you have arrived as the. Writer. I don't know if I'd. Ever, I don't know if I've arrived or anything. <laughs> I've just. I've just um, resigned myself to it. I guess it's. You know, it's. It's. It's been a very unusual ride. Um, not at all. What I. If you had asked me, you know, 15 years ago that I was going to be doing this, I would have told you you were on dope. Um, I did not expect. Uh, the, you know, things to go the way they have. It's been a very incredible, uh, uh, and and very. Uh, fortunate 14 or 15 years doing this. I don't, you know, I'm thankful for every second of it. Um, I hope it keeps going. I mean, like I said, Pocket seems to, you know, want to keep me employed, so I will continue to write until they stop asking. Or, you know, write for them until they stop asking. Then I'll go write for somebody else. Well, I appreciate that since uh, Paths of Disharmony was one of my favorites in the Typhoon Pack series book. Uh, a series and uh, I really did enjoy um, Tempest Wake very much uh, and so I'm glad that they're keeping you busy well thank you I appreciate that I had a lot of I it was that that was an interesting book for me to write because I was asked to do I wasn't given the storyline but I was asked you know can you do this I want you to hit this note I want you to involve this this thing you know this person the, the editor at the time she asked me to write Picard as a father because at the time, I was a fairly new father, so she wanted me to be able to translate some of that to Picard, you know, the new daddy. Um, so I really enjoyed writing that book because it was it was it was Star Trek, but yet it was some things that you hadn't seen the characters do before. And uh, for me, it was a lot of fun because I was able to channel some of my new daddy thoughts into Picard a little bit. Um, don't know if Renee is going to grow up to become the Enterprise savior or Wesley 2.0, but. We're going to try to avoid that. Let's hope not, because uh, I'm not sure that uh, Picard shouting, shut up, Renee, on the bridge would work as well <laughs> as when he did it to Wesley. Yeah, I, I mean, I, 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 I said that once as a joke. I, I said that, uh, you know, he would become this great savior at age one and a half or whatever, and I, and I said it as a joke, and I think somebody thought I was being serious, so they, they got rather upset about that. That's what he, he saves the ship while he's wearing his Technicolor onesie, right? <laughs> yeah, something like that. He uses a diaper to save the shield or something. <laughs> I don't to reroute power to the starboard power coupling or something. But um, I don't remember what it was, but I know I did irritate one particular reader just by joking. So <laughs> I'm sure. Wasn't intending to. I was just being me, the smart aleck. But. Well, this has been a fascinating discussion, Dayton. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to Matthew and, and myself today. And I hope you'll join us again on the show in the future. Uh, I will come back if, you, if you're willing to have me. I, I can ramble all night, you see. That's why you have to cut well, me off the hour mark. So. We'll definitely want to have you back, especially when, you're, when your new TOS novel comes out, for sure. I will probably make some sort of formal, this is what it's about in the next couple of days. I think uh, I've been asked about it a couple of different ways. Somebody on Twitter or somebody on Facebook has asked me, because I guess it's listed now somewhere. It is. Uh, Simon & Schuster's website, and I think it, it might be even on Amazon by now. And uh, so I, I need to, I guess I need to spill some beans. I just haven't had a chance to sit down and write, you know, what I want to write about it and not spill too many beans. So i got to get my act together, I know. Well, we look forward to hearing what that will be. Um, I was going to ask you, uh, where can all the listeners follow you uh, and keep up with your newest work and uh, make sure that they do see that announcement when it comes out? 
the easiest way to find me is to DaytonMoore.com uh, in your web browser. Um, that's a portal which will take you to my blog, uh, Facebook, Twitter, all that. Uh, it's, it's 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 your gateway to banality on the internet. Uh, but that's you know one stop shopping. Well, Matthew, that was a really great discussion that we had with Dayton there. Uh, I really loved some of the questions that you asked to really dig into you know the process of writing Star Trek literature and you know how Vanguard came about and especially carrying it forward into um, the Typhon Pact as well. It was great to have him. I'm I'm very excited that he decided to come on for our very first show. So let's tell everyone how to contact us if they would like to share any of their thoughts on the show. Uh, you can go to the website, trek.fm slash contact. Uh, there's a form there. There's a pull-down menu for the shows. You can find Literary Treks right there, and uh, you can send us a note. You can, of course, uh, talk to us on Twitter. Our username is trek.fm. My username is C. Brian Jones. And how about you, Matthew? And my Twitter handle is MattRushing02. Um, and tweeting about all sorts of things um, pretty much all day. Uh, lots of Trek-inspired uh, tweets um, and uh, Trek books. Uh, so if you have any questions or anything like that, let us know. Absolutely. Hit Matthew up with all of your Trek book questions because he <laughs> is the man. He is the expert. Well, thank you, Chris. This has been a lot of fun. It absolutely has. And thanks for listening, everyone. And uh, join us next week. And until then, enjoy your reading. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one.